Last week, two tragedies hit America, one in El Paso and one in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, in both, a gunman showed up and started opening fire and, and combined they killed 40 people. In tragedy, tragedies like that and in other tragedies uh, similar, it leaves people wondering why. People's hands in the air frustrated saying, why do bad things happen? And then we want to figure out why. And so what happens? People start pointing fingers at who's to blame or what's to blame. And if you want an example of that, uh, just go through your social media for the past week. And you will see who's to blame and why and how to fix it. And why do people want to know this answer? Certainty. Certainty. They don't want it to happen again. They don't want it to happen again. We don't want to live in fear, right? And so we want all the tragedies, everything that we can to be figured out. If we can figure out why these tragedies happen, maybe we can avoid it next time. If we can figure out what causes cancer, then we won't get cancer. If we can figure out what causes you fill in the blank, then we can avoid it because we don't want to suffer. Why? Do bad things happen? The question intensifies a little more when we know people that it happens to, right? Maybe we're not exactly close friends with them, but we know them from work, we know them from down the street, and we know that they're not bad people. They're actually pretty good people. So, so why do bad things happen to, to good people? And then the question really intensifies, and we start getting even more frustrated when it gets to people we know our friends, our family, our church family? Why do bad things happen to God's people? Why does the, the six-year-old girl who loves Jesus get brain cancer? Why does the Christian mother who's in church every Sunday uh, get breast cancer when her little boy is six months old and dies before he turns three? Why does the, the mother with her three boys Fourth, on the way, on the way to vacation Bible school, get in a car accident and all of them die. Why do bad things happen to God's people? And then it really intensifies when it touches us. Why do I hurt? Why do I suffer? Why does this happen to me? God, where are you? And these are all legitimate questions. They're all legitimate and Paul answers, has answers for us in Romans chapter 8 as we continue to walk through the book of Romans with grace wins. And what we're going to see is that grace, God's undeserved love, His unconditional love, wins over our suffering. We are in Romans chapter 8. We're beginning with verse 18 this morning. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to, subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who su subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
Just think of the context of this letter for a second. Written by the Apostle Paul, written to the Christians living in Rome, the Romans. And who was the leading empire at that time? Rome. Who was sitting on the throne of Rome? Nero. Nero persecuted Christians. I've, I've told this story before, I'm sure you remember it. Nero is the emperor who would capture Christians, arrest them, and then throw a garden party for all of his friends. And to light his garden party, he light Christians on fire in his garden so that he'd have lights in, in his garden dinner. This was Nero. This is the, the context in which Paul is writing. And, and do you think that the Christians in Rome threw their hands up and said, Why? Why is this happening? Why are these bad things happening to my friends, my family, the, the, the Christians living down the street that I see in temple? Do you think they did that? Absolutely. Absolutely. How could you not? How could you not? Jesus, if you are in control, why are these bad things happening? Paul answers it right here. And it's your first point this morning. The reason? Things aren't how it's supposed to be. Things aren't how it's supposed to be. Look at how Paul describes creation. Creation waits in eager expectation, for creation was subjected to frustration. It's in bondage to decay. The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Absolutely nothing in this world is how it's supposed to be. Creation is broken. And it starts with people. It starts with people. People are broken twice. People are broken spiritually and physically. I guess you could say you're, they're broken spiritually, which leads to physically. God created mankind, human beings, to be the crown of His creation. He created them to love God wholly, to be devoted to God, to walk with God, to talk with God, to be perfect in every way like God, created in His image. The very first thought a human being should ask, or should have asked, is, how does God feel about this? And that's what I want to do. The second question is, how does somebody else feel about this? And then I'll do what, how they feel. It was, they were dominated by love. Love for God and love for others. That's how people were created to be. And then Adam and Eve sinned. They ate from the fruit that God told them not to eat from. And sin entered the world. And now what do we see? Brokenness in people. Instead of a heart filled with love, there's hearts filled with hate. Instead of a heart that says, well, how does God feel about this? The question is, how do I feel about this? And I'm going to act according to that. And there's brokenness, spiritual brokenness, and we see it in, in thoughts, we see it in words, we see it in actions. And it's all because of sin, because of this brokenness. And not only are people broken spiritually, but they're broken physically. God said that when Adam and Eve ate from the tree, if they did, it would cause death. And ever since then, death has been around. And our bodies are constantly in a state of decay. 
A couple months ago, I was working out uh, at Santa Rita's gym, and they have free weights. And right behind the free weights is a huge mirror. And it's all open lighting, a lot of open lighting. And so there, it's, it's great lighting in this gym. Uh, better lighting than my bathroom. And so uh, the one time I, I got done working out with the dumbbells, I put them down, and I, I just happened to look up in the mirror, and I said, uh-oh, that can't be what I think it is. And so I went around, and I got real close to the mirror, and sure enough, three gray hairs in my beard. <laughs> and of course, I went over dramatic with it, and so I text all my family and say, guys, I, I'm, I'm dying. I would love to see you before I pass. Uh, this is, uh, what's going on? I have three gray hairs. And even though I was overdramatic in, in making a joke about it, what did that really serve? It was a reminder that my body's decaying. It's slowly dying. That's what that means. That's the reality. From the moment we come forth from the womb, we are in a constant state of decay. Why? Because this world is broken. People are broken because of sin. Because death is now in the world. And it hasn't just affected people. It's affected creation. The world was not created to have famines and droughts. The world was not created to have earthquakes and, and uh, tsunamis and hurricanes and tornadoes. It, the world wasn't created to be like that. But sin affects every single aspect of creation. Not just the earth, not just people, even the animals. The, the lion and, and the antelope were created to be friends. Not one a hunter and one the prey. But sin enters the world and breaks everything. And now, animals that were created to lie down together in the pasture are running from each other and running to each other for food and from their predator. The whole creation is broken in every single aspect. And it's frustrated. And people are frustrated. As I mentioned, go on to social media and see the frustration. See the frustration over mass shootings. See the frustration over tragedies. And we're frustrated too. And how do we respond in our frustration? <coughs> we wake up with aches and pains, and instead of thanking God for another day, we complain. We get bitter. We get angry. And, and we lash out at others and blame them for the suffering that we're going through. We point our fingers at them. And then we're even tempted to point our fingers at God and say, Why, God? Why did you do this? Why do you allow this? Why don't you take this away? And then we start to doubt God. You know what, God? Maybe you're not so powerful. Because if you were so powerful, you wouldn't let this happen. You know what, God? Maybe you aren't all loving. Because if you were all loving, you wouldn't be letting me go through this. Frustration sets in. And how do you think God responds to that? How would you respond to it if, it were, if you were God? Do you want to know what I think God says? So let me get this straight. God says, you want a place where there's no suffering, no pain, no grief, no troubles. You don't want 
any sicknesses or diseases. You don't want any broken relationships. You don't want any financial trouble. Uh, you don't want death. You want only happiness, joy, and peace. That's what I gave you. That's how I created this world to be. And humans broke it by sinning. And it's true. We have broken this world. And I'm not suggesting, don't get me, don't, don't get me wrong, I am not suggesting that people suffer because of direct sins that they have caused. That would be karma. Karma doesn't exist. Uh, there are some choices I make that cause me to suffer, but sometimes we just suffer because we live in a broken world, because things aren't how it's supposed to be. And when we sinned, we forfeited the right to heaven. And now we live here, in this broken mess of a world. And God could leave us. And maybe He even should leave us. But if you've been with us for the last seven weeks, you know that's not our God. Because our God is gracious. Our God has undeserved, unconditional love. And so what do you say? I gave you what you wanted. You ruined it. But I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you. And that's exactly what he did. And how did he do it? He sent Jesus, his one and only son, God himself, into our suffering, into our brokenness. God himself said, you have to suffer, I'm going to suffer. And Jesus came and he faced verbal rejection from his family. He, he fought verbal persecution from the religious leaders. He was beaten. He was whipped. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head. He didn't have a bed to sleep on. You talk about aches and pains waking up in the morning. He had nails driven through his hands and his feet. And not to mention, he suffered the very depths of hell. Why? All to take our brokenness away. All to, to make us complete again by removing each and every one of our sins. And he rescued us. As he rose from the dead, now we have this joy. We have this hope. We know that one day we escape this brokenness and we get to live in heaven with God, with Jesus, and see him face to face where there is no suffering, where there's no heartaches, no tragedies, no brokenness whatsoever, but only joy, happiness. We get what our hearts desire in heaven. And Paul says this is the hope that we have. Here's what he says. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. We wait eagerly for what? The resurrection, right? The redemption of our bodies. We eagerly wait it. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we, have, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Your second point, grace wins and brings hope. This undeserved, unconditional love that God has for us brings us hope. Look back to verse 18 for a second. I'm not going to show it up on the screen, so if you have your worship folder, look what Paul says. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul isn't minimizing suffering there. 
He's maximizing glory. He says, take all of your sufferings, take it and make it one big sandwich. All your heartaches, all your pain, all your broken relationships, take all of your sufferings. And it's nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory that is coming. The glory that we have hope for and we wait for it patiently. We are here, but one day we'll be there where it will be nothing but glory forever. And that's the hope that we have. That's eager expectation. Not, gee, I wish it happens, but no, I know it's going to happen and I patiently wait for that day because I cannot wait until I experience it. And if God would just give us this, this would be enough, right? Oh, praise God that one day I get to escape this body filled with aches and pains and suffering and I get to be there with Him where there will be no more suffering. Praise God, I can't wait. But our God's grace is all-encompassing and He gives us even more. He gives us three promises that we can cling to as we are going through suffering. And that's how we're going to end today. We're going to end with these promises, okay? Here's what Paul says. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts know, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Promise number one, in suffering we have the Holy Spirit. When we suffer, when we have uh, griefs that we're going through, or we know somebody who's suffering, isn't it hard to come up with the words to say? What do I say to this person? What do I even pray for? God's promise, you have the Holy Spirit. And what does He do? He searches your heart and knows what you need, knows what you're feeling, knows what to plead for to God. And God hears Him. The Holy Spirit searches your mind, searches your heart. And guess what? If the Holy Spirit is searching your mind and heart, that means you never suffer alone. Your God is always with you, even in the midst of suffering. No one can understand what I'm going through. God does because He's searching your heart. I'm all alone. There's no one here with me as I'm suffering. No, you're not. God is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. That's God's promise. He is with you in the midst of your suffering. Promise number two. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Promise number two. In suffering, know that God has a purpose. Raise your hand if you've heard this verse before. Just about everyone has heard this verse, right? Where do we normally end it? Right here, right? We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Period. But that's really not the whole verse. The whole thought is, who have been called according to His purpose. What's God's purpose for your life? It's to get to heaven, right? That's God's only purpose for your life, is to get you to be with Him forever. That's God's purpose in your life. And so He's working all things for your good to bring you to Him. Have you heard of a, of a bug called no seams? No seams? They are really little tiny bugs. That's why they're called no seams, because you can't see them. That's how small they are. Uh, and if you're getting random bites, 
you're probably getting bit by the bug no see them because they're like little gnat type things that just they can go anywhere and you can't see them. Anyways, there is a, a, a pastor uh, called, named Tim Keller, Timothy Keller, and he talks about suffering and the purpose of suffering. And he says a lot of times with suffering, here's how we view it. it it's as if, uh, he says, imagine if I have a tent out in the backyard and I say, hey, go out in the, in the backyard, look in the tent, see if there's a St. Bernard. If you open that tent, there's no St. Bernard in the tent. It's pretty safe to assume there's no St. Bernard in the tent. But he said, if I tell you to go out and check in the tent to see if there's a no see could you actually say that there's no no see in there? No, because you can't see it, right? He says, oftentimes in suffering, what we want is, is in order for there to be a purpose, I have to see it. I have to comprehend it. It should be as big as a St. Bernard. But he says, oftentimes, the purpose is like a no see We can't see him, but God does. And God has a purpose because that's his promise. And what's the purpose? To get you to heaven. And so isn't that so comforting? There's nothing you suffer that doesn't have a purpose in God's eyes. And God is using everything that happens in your life, the good and the bad, for your eternal good to bring you to Him. And finally, His last promise. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your last promise, promise number three, in suffering, God promises He loves you. We are so tempted in the midst of suffering to say, God, you must not love me. And yet, look at what Paul says. There is nothing in all creation that could separate you from the love of God. Because how much does God love you? He didn't spare His one and only Son, but gave Him up for you. Gave Him up. And because Jesus died on the cross for you, nobody can bring any charge against you. The devil can stand and say, you are guilty of this, 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 and this. And God says, I declare that person innocent. I declare you innocent. You're free of all charges. Come on in. Come on into the joy and happiness of heaven. And I promise you, God says, that as you go through suffering, my love will never be taken from you. So where does this leave us? Number one, know that suffering's going to happen because we live in a broken world. It just is. Jesus actually promised it. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Know that though this world is a broken place, Jesus has made you whole, He's made you complete, and you have your inheritance of heaven to look forward to. And so as we go through suffering, as we go through trials and tribulations and hardships, use this phrase, here, there. Here, I have aches and pains. There, I will be complete. Here, I grieve and I cry and I'm sad. There, 
God will wipe away every tear from my eye. Here, I struggle. Here, I'm, limit, I'm, I'm limited. There, I'm unlimited and immortal and I'm powerful. Here, cancer, sicknesses, disease, death reigns. There, death can never touch me because death will be swallowed up in victory by my Lord and Savior Jesus as I live for, with Him forever. And, and Jesus will li live, Jesus will reign, and I will never die. Death will no longer touch me or my loved ones ever again. Here, there. And as you go through the sufferings and the trials, cling to the promises of Jesus. Cling to the fact that God is with you. Cling to the fact that He has a purpose. And cling to the fact that He loves you, even in the midst of suffering. Because grace wins every single time. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we know that this is a broken world. We know that we uh, have been broken by sin, and yet you have completely saved us and made us complete and whole once again through your life, death, and resurrection. We thank you that you've given us an escape from this world, that one day all our sufferings will end. Uh, it has a, a, a time limit, an expiration date, and one day we will be with you where we will never end, uh, but we will live in joy and happiness forever at your throne uh, where there's only peace, love, and happiness. Uh, we ask you to be with us in the midst of suffering as we go through trials and tribulations. Help us to cling to you and your promises more and more. Be with us, guard us, protect us, uh, and let us cling to those promises. Amen.